will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? She just goes a little mad sometimes. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. If you hang up on me, you'll die just like your mother. Do you want to die, Sydney? Hi. And welcome to the Snakebite Horrorcast. I'm your host, Mike Goddard. And it is another special episode this week with some new, with another new guest. And as always, to help me through this is Nar Whitlock. Hi. And Marcus Wallace. Good day. Surprise me now. Another episode, guys. It's been a bit of a, a break since the last one. Give ourselves a little bit of a summer break. Um, but this week, we get to chat to a director who directed two films we already covered already in the podcast, um, Stillborn and Z. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Brandon Christian. Uh, hi, yeah. how are you? <laughs> Good, thanks for having me. No worries, no worries. Yeah, welcome to the Horrorcast. For people who might not know you uh, and your work, but we love Z and we love Stillborn. But um, tell us a bit about yourself, uh, how you got into horror, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Um, I think I just, I've kind of always been into horror since I was a little kid. Uh, there was always something about watching something late at night with your friends and sort of having that visceral feeling of being scared that, um, it just sort of was always part of, you know, my childhood. So growing up, it was always just kind of, it's almost like a, a drug where you're chasing that next high and trying to find that next scare that will, um, you know, elicit something inside of you. So, uh, when I was starting to make, uh, you know, little films and stuff like that, short films, the idea of just sort of taking like one little gimmicky kind of scare thing and building something short around it uh, was very appealing. I think that horror works really well in the short format. So, um, you know, I did a, uh, several short horrors and then, um, you know, just ended up translating into uh, my first feature, which was Stillborn. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Cool. I mean, what type of horror were you into, kind of uh, getting into, into into the genre? I mean, were, were you like some of us more Halloween, or was it kind of a bit more obscure or a bit more modern? Um, yeah, I definitely liked like the slashers. Uh, I was a big Freddy and Jason fan. Um, you know, like back in the day before the mm. Freddy and Jason, uh, the the mashup actually happened. I mean, it was rumored for like a you know fifteen years before it ended up actually happening. So it was always just kind of exciting to watch that. Uh, slasher films were always so fun just because they, they were filled with those jumpy m moments, like something like mm -hmm. Sleepaway Camp or something like that, where, uh, it has just those, those, those stinging jump scares that, that are, you know, just a ton of fun when you're a kid. Um, but when I got older, uh, a lot more like, uh, thriller type films like The Gift or, uh, you know, The, Con the Conjuring, stuff like that. I I've really enjoyed those, but I I'm, I, I don't know. It's kind of a, it's an interesting genre because it's so so wide reaching like there's so many different pockets of it and um i haven't really found any pockets that i didn't really enjoy even if it's not like my my favorite there there's always something that they offer cool, cool. so you gave me a few choices of films for this time around why did you pick these two films so we've got it follows a classic um cult classic one and the beach house a newer title i mean what what drew you to these two titles to talk about today uh, the Beach House is kind of interesting just because it's kind of, I mean, my my two films have always taken something that's kind of 
an everyday thing like uh, parenting, you know, having a baby or, or having your kid go to school and having, you know, an imaginary friend. And these are very kind of real, real ideas that, um, that people deal with. And so it's kind of like the beach house, for example, that that's like, oh, people go and stay at places all the time and they never really think anything of it. So it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to put that like, what if twist on the idea of, you know, staying at a beach house and, you know, it's, you're in unfamiliar territory and it should be, you know, kind of this beautiful, safe space, but then all of a sudden you've got all this crazy stuff happening and, and that that's really interesting. And it follows, I'm just a huge fan of, I, I've, you know, ever since I first saw it, I've, I've loved the movie, the score, um, just, uh, you know, I, I think it's just an awesome movie, but it also has that, that feeling of when you're a kid and you kind of, you know, you, you, you do watch a bunch of horror movies. And so you've got, you kind of got this heightened sense of awareness of things around you. Like you're walking at night and no longer are you just walking at night. You're kind of like, oh man, like, you know, Jason's definitely following me right now. So you're, you're constantly checking over your shoulder. And, and this film is basically that it's just that primal fear of someone following you. Um, and I think that's really cool. Can have an interesting conversation later. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say on that one. Um, cool. So, do you guys want to ask any questions about Stillborn or what was he? Or should we wait until after the first movie? Uh, wait till afterwards. I do want to just say that we actually we don't like many films as a group, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we actually like Z and we really like Stillborn as well, mm. which is quite rare for all three of us to agree on something. Sweet. It, it's a it's, it's a rare one. <laughs> Z yeah. we loved. I thought Z, um, I'm a fanboy. Z was amazing. Um, oh, sweet. Stillborn's my favourite. Yeah, I, I love Stillborn as well. But Z, I mean, perfect film. I love I just the whole. Appreciate... Um... Sorry. I, I just appreciate that you're not calling it Z. It is Z, <laughs> but then you know we're, we are British. We would normally say Z, but you know yeah. <laughs> we know our place. They, they mm-hmm. say that in the film, don't they? I'm pretty sure they say Z. It's always Z in the film, yeah. yeah but like when we yeah, when we did our festivals in Canada and stuff like that, a lot of the people would ask that, like, is it Z or is it Z? And it's like, just watch the film, you'll see. But uh, <laughs> when Shudder bought it, uh, Emily Gatto, who's like, uh, she's one of the, the big wigs at Shudder, she she had seen the movie and she was talking to me about it. And she just kept saying, yeah, Z, Z, Z. And I was just like, all right, I'm not I'm not going to say anything here. <laughs> it's not like you directed the movie or anything. Yeah, they know better. Yeah, that's cool but, though. But no, I mean, Stillborn as well. It's one of the one of the earlier ones we covered on the podcast. Yeah. Kind of like a uh, you know, we'll go for that one and one of the be- one of the best films we've uh, we've reviewed on the on the podcast. So we actually it, picked that randomly. It was. as well. Like, yeah, true. <laughs> Most of the choices don't normally are, but yeah. Uh, so cool, we'll go into the first movie. Um, we have gone for Beach House first. Um, Marcus, yeah. do you want to describe the Beach House for me? Oh God, right, you're, you're on stage. Right, <laughs> Beach House. From what I understood, there's a couple who, from uh, every get-go, seemed like they've had quite a few issues uh, going on. So it almost felt like they're going to this Beach House uh, as like a, Almost like a way of uh, rebuilding their relationship, uh, a getaway, a bit of a break. Over time, uh, they've realised that they're not actually alone there. Well, I say over time, it's literally the next morning. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone else who knows the boyfriend's dad uh, also are staying at this beach house. So then these two separate couples are a bit like, uh, what the hell's going on? But they're, they're friendly enough. Uh, they have dinner together. They uh, share experiences and all that stuff. Typical conversation. Get chucked up. Yeah, get drunk up, 
and drugged up. Uh, mm. Turns out that the uh, the old lady's uh, a bit of a well, she's a bit ill. I can't remember what her illness was. She's on a lot of pills though. She goes to uh, walkabouts a little bit, and uh, the uh, the young boyfriend has the great idea of putting them all on marijuana or edibles. And uh, yeah, she goes missing, and uh, this weird mystical fog stuff appears, <laughs> and. For some strange reason, I describe them as raviolis on the, uh, the beach because I don't I don't know how else to describe the shape these <laughs> exact. They look a bit like raviolis. So there's raviolis across the beach, and uh, long story short, if you step on these things or uh, consume them or any way, they will try and infect your body like a parasite and uh, slowly kill you and put you in a zombified state. Point where you then go out and try and just feed on everyone else. They very much turn it into a zombie film near the end. At least that's what I got out of it. But the fog is the main part about this thing. Uh, they make it very dangerous. You can't breathe the stuff in. Uh, it, and it all comes from the sea at night time. And as soon as it's daytime, it's all fine again. So uh, You can right. breathe it in. If you're the main character, you can breathe it in as much as you want. And nothing mm-hmm. bad will ever happen. Well, I mean, you say that, but the main characters did sadly uh, kind, of, uh, kind of get killed off, really, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. They had a good time with it. I mean, some people would go on my straight away. My question is, how bad is her self-awareness when she's standing on a beach and she's able to step in the ravioli? Like, did that just appear out of nowhere when she was stepping or was it always there? Because, you know, she steps, there's a squish and then it, it the camera jumps back and shows this big wide and they're they're lining the entire beach. So is it like, did they just appear as she took that step or were they always there? And then I, that kind of begs the question, like, is all this actually happening? I have no idea. <laughs> I think you're yeah. looking, like, way too far into the film. <laughs> I, I don't think they planned any of that. I think they just uh, put the ravioli down and we'll have a right. step in it. We've we yeah. got to put it in. Put it in. <laughs> I yeah. think... Right, hold on. There we go. I thought the film was interesting. I thought what was there was cool. I just didn't think there was enough. Like, I thought the whole mystery, uh, the mystery with the other couple being there, um, I thought that was cool, but... It was basically like they show up at a house. There's, uh, they take a nap. They wake up. There's someone else there. They have dinner. They get high, and a bunch of crazy shit happens. And now it, it seems like there was no real mystery or intrigue from that other couple. Like, who are you? Are you, you know, it, are the relationships actual? Like, do, it, I, I didn't really. I was, I was interested in that and just the whole like, who are these people staying here? But it didn't, it didn't really seem to care about that because. It didn't like if if you think about how many things happen in this movie, it mm. doesn't feel like a lot. There's like they show up, they go to bed, they wake up, they meet the people, they have a weird night, and then the next morning the guy walks into the sea, and then you know stuff happens. But it, it just felt very light on plot, where mm. there was no real reason to get engaged in anything because it was kind of just like speeding through everything. Yeah, it it seemed to me like they put all their effort into try and make the characters seem as weird as possible but then had no idea what to do with it so like i don't know to me it felt like they were writing the movie as they went along and they didn't right. really know where it was going yeah there's no real purpose for things things just happen yeah when it, when it kind of starts off like more like a like a home invasion feel to it like these mm-hmm. two random people in my house who are these people and they went right. nah that's boring zombies it's <laughs> yeah it's yeah. kind of yeah, <laughs> it, it resolves that very quickly. Like five minutes yeah. after the the intrigue is there, you're just like, nah, they're fine. It's a family friend. We're gonna have dinner together. This is great. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, okay. Well, I guess now, what do I need? Like, like what am I interested in now? I guess I'm just waiting for 
Yeah, I'm waiting for the ravioli now. If a writer pitched that to you, would you think that would make a good film? Ravioli? No, just like having <laughs> yes. a half a film that's just like a meal scene. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, it depends. I, I think because I think what they did is good. It's fine. I just think that they just needed to explore more of what's what mm-hmm. is happening. It just feels like a film in fast forward. And um, it's just long scenes that draw, you know, just draw mm-hmm. forever. Like that dinner scene is like 15 to 20 minutes long. Yeah. And it's it's just like nothing really happens. We find out that she's smart about some science biology stuff, which never really came into play later. But um it's just like 20 I mean, if you look at a film like Z, it had 185 scenes in the script. And, and I'm not saying that's how you need to do things, but um, there's just so much story packed into the hour and 23 minutes. And this is an hour and 28 minutes. I mean, the longest scene in Z is like two to three minutes because it's just kind of like, okay, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And it's, it's paced so quickly. And this is the complete opposite, which is just like slow and, uh, you know, just sort of so there's just not that much to get through so it's just taking its time which which can work i just didn't think that how they spent that time was very engaging mm, i think you I mean, are right focus, i mean they focus a lot more on the pointless stuff i mean i would like i would like to see more zombie i'm gonna say zombie because it's probably not zombie but the class zombie more zombie action and interact with more people but then i think when they start going into Oh look, there's there's other houses around here. Kind of the claustrophobic feeling of it that you could have had is wasted there. But it just feels all it feels all over the place for me, personally. Right. Um, I mean, I yeah, I I had to watch that dinner scene several times because I just just couldn't get through it. Um, yeah, Jake yeah, Jake Weber, this one. the older guy, Jake Weber, because he walks mm. into the sea and he disappears for the rest of the movie. And it was a really cool sequence where she's watching him and he just keeps going. Um, and then mm. once he's gone, he's gone. And so that, that, that takes away one of the four characters that are in the film. So when you have like the showdown at the end, you don't really have anybody to have it with except for the old woman. So it's like, you know, you're just kind of neutering your your climax and how much excitement you can have because it's just going to be two on one because you're going to have the two guy, the guy, the younger couple and then the old woman because the guy sort of just deleted himself from the movie. And it, it was a cool moment, but it just didn't go anywhere. Like he should have come back later as a zombie is like, or whatever yeah. it is, you know, just to give more of a an obstacle. Because once, I mean, it's the one obstacle, and then it's over. She's got her foot thing, and then she, her and the the boyfriend they just sort of escape the. And it's it, yeah, it just didn't didn't have enough happening. I didn't think. Mm. It almost How about you, Marcus. Like, Sorry. It almost felt like with the film that, uh, as you were saying earlier, Brandon, with uh, how the scenes are very long. It almost felt like they had much more of the film that they were recorded and realized they needed to cut it down. And it, rather than cut the sh- uh, the scenes uh, shorter, they've just cut whole scenes out because it's right. uh, like there's all the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost like there's a lot of ideas there, but none of them are ever fully explained or fully put into play. Uh, they're not right. sort of making the most of them. If that makes sense for mm. sure. I mean, it might make sense to the to the to the guy Jeffrey Brown who wrote it and directed it. It might he might have an idea like it's about relation. It's some some metaphor that it's that it's you know, trying to talk about, but I didn't really understand it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's my brain failing or if the movie just didn't work for me. Well, I think we're all just... in the same boat because it didn't work for me either. So. Yeah, same, same here. It, just, mm. just, it loses your concentration so quick on it. It 
it's a shame to see Jack, Jake Webber go so quick. He's the biggest actor in this movie, and he's not in mm-hmm. it that much. I, yeah. I think from a low-budget perspective, that's probably uh, yes. you know, a financial thing. Like you look at, like, like, We can't afford him anymore. Kill him exactly. in the <laughs> yeah. Like Stillborn, we had Michael Ironside for one day, and we mm-hmm. got two scenes out of him, and then uh, Stephen McCaddy, we had him for two days. It's just all we could afford. So it's, you, know, you mm-hmm. just sort of write around your limitations. So it's kind of a, a situation where you just put his, you know, throw a bunch of money at him for a day or two or three. They probably had him for a little bit longer, but um, yeah, they just didn't have the money to have him become the big baddie. Oh, I've got a quick question because you just did a name drop. Hmm. Um, Michael Ironside, what is he like in real life? Because he's amazing. He's he's awesome. He was like, it was a situation where we didn't, he wasn't cast until we were shooting, and. Hmm. Uh, like so it was like a week into production when Colin Minahan, the co-writer and producer, came up to me. He's like, he's like, Hey, we got Michael Ironside for for Dr. Seeger. Oh no, not Dr. Seeger, uh, whatever his name was. And uh it was just like I was like, Oh crap, you don't really have time to process because you're in the middle of another scene. And so you're just you don't really think about it because when you're filming, you're just like all that matters is whatever you're filming at the moment. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you don't you don't have time to think about anything else. So when it comes to Michael Ironside Day, everyone is just kind of on their best behavior, and you know, there's just like a, a hushness around the crew and stuff like that. And then he just sort of shows up, and he's this larger than life dude, and and just like immediately there was no ego or anything like that. It was super mm-hmm. it was super cool where he just like came in and. He was very helpful with blocking and all that stuff. He was he was very patient and uh, um, he just sort of like he, he he was just very genuinely nice and so it was a lot of fun and we only had the two scenes with him so when we were going from the first location to the second uh, I was I was about to leave and I was just I had my parents' car so I said I was like hey does anybody need a lift to the hospital where we're shooting and you know off in the distance in the house I just hear Ironside does. <laughs> and, and so I, I was like oh sweet so I drove him you know like 30 40 minutes to the second location and we just talked about like you know splinter cell and and stuff like that and it was just it was just very cool that's where um, I know him from it's my favorite yeah, game series he was he was great I'm yeah he was awesome. jealous of that <laughs> <laughs> he'll never come in his podcast you know that don't you <laughs> I'll try but it's never gonna I'll happen keep, I'll keep sending the emails anyway <laughs> Brandon, maybe you can put in a good word for us. <laughs> I haven't talked to him in a little while, but it was cool. There was one time, um, it was after our premiere. I had like a Q and A Q&A on my phone, and I was my parents were over at my house, and uh, I was screen sharing off my phone, like I was doing airplay to my TV, so we could watch the Q and A. And then um, in the middle of watching it, I had a phone call, and it popped up on the screen. It just said Michael Ironside, and he was calling me about something with his his daughter was looking for a a job on a film or something like that but it was a it was a cool cool moment to be like oh yeah michael ironside just calls me sometimes <laughs> yeah. he, he's never called me before or since but uh it was it was kind of funny so i don't know how he got my number but uh yeah do you know if he's seen the film uh i'm not sure when, when we had we had an la uh premiere like one of those 10 you know you get 10 screens across the country um, I went to LA for it with uh, my parents, and there was like three other people in the theater. But um, I, I, I emailed him to invite him, or maybe I texted him. I can't remember. But uh, he never got back to me, so I, I, I have no idea. I said I did email him a, an iTunes code because when the movie came out on iTunes, I was given like fifty codes or something like that. So I sent him one. He didn't respond either. So maybe I didn't get his his daughter a job, and he's not happy with me anymore. Oh, maybe. <laughs> 
Black Maybe you're his enemy now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, back to the film. Mm-hmm. Effects-wise, I mean, what do you guys think of the effects in this one? So I, I don't think it was too bad. I mean, I like the, the scene where she's taking the uh, slug worm thing mm-hmm. out of her foot. That was it quite... It was pretty you know, gross. They got that. Make, it does make you go... <laughs> yeah. But what do you guys think? I thought the practical effects like that were solid. Um, mm. But the... And, like, the things on the beach, they looked cool. But the there was all these, like, lighting effects at night with the trees. Like, there was just this, like, ambient VFX that was done where it was, like, mm. this weird... And it didn't look that great. Like, you could see sort of where they rotoscope the tree and, and it I do a lot of VFX so I, I it's probably something that I notice more than other people do but it just had sort of like a cheapness to it where uh, you know where the uh, they were probably just like we need to add more atmosphere to this scene because it needs something to obscure the you know to obscure the vision of you know the audience and so I just think they were just sort of dropping in assets and trying you know when you're working with it's it's like uh, depth with uh, with fog and stuff like that you've mm-hmm. got to and you, you're not shooting it for that, so you don't have green screen to separate the actor. You're kind of just like hacking it in in different layers. And I think they just—it was kind of sloppy. And it—it's—it um, it is what it is. It's just—I mean, that's you know, low-budget films. Mm. Just just flowing more fluorescent blue. It's fine. Just throw more. Yeah, exactly. About you, Marcus. There was one scene which um, I I hated with the lighting. Uh, I can't remember the whole thing. Basically, it's with uh, the truck when uh, the main uh, girl character was uh, trying to find the keys for this truck originally and when she eventually got the keys and went into the truck uh this the light just kept blinding the screen and i just don't know if it was how the cameras are meant to be placed or what but it just it almost felt like the camera was just a little bit too far back and the light kept catching right i think i do remember that where's the light coming from because i don't think it was colored either wasn't it just like a standard yellow yeah kind of it light? was mm. Yeah, it was like they were flashing it like J.J. Abrams with a flashlight just off screen. Yeah. Low budget. Yeah. Mm. You think you'd keep... I mean, how much does it sort of cost to just reshoot a scene like that? Would you, I mean, if, if you were doing it and you had something like that happen, like, would it be worth the cost of shooting it again? Or would you just be like, yeah, that'll do? I mean, you're you're definitely watching on a monitor, so I, it had to have been a creative choice, and he's probably got a reason for it. Um, I just do remember it kind of standing out because it was so in your face. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's I'm not you know he directed it and he got the movie out on Shutter and everything. It seems it seems like some people dig it, so I, I, you know I think it's just it's, it's one of those movies uh, that. You... Go ahead. Sorry, it's a very Marmite movie. It's a little bit. I'm gonna say exactly the same as with It Follows. You've heard of a lot of people praise this movie a lot of people mm. go I, I really don't get the hype for it I think it was, all for, the two reviewers I have from a, web, from a website both didn't like it but I have people who also talk to other reviewers that I talk to from other sites who said that's absolutely amazing but I don't know if it just falls into the pattern of the acting that's actually too bad in this I didn't actually mind the acting it's just more mm. story wise but there you go yeah very, very Marmite movie do you have yeah. Marmite in America? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, what are they called like... over there? Vegemite. Vegemite's Australian. Oh, uh, I don't know. I've never heard of it. Uh, I'm it's, just going to say no. Uh, it's basically black tar yeast stuff. Nope. And English people get like really <laughs> funny about it. Like, <laughs> we will go to war one day because right. people just love it or hate it. Uh, 
That's and fine. that defines you as a person. Uh, the whole advertising slogan is love it or hate it as well. Yeah. It's hmm. anyway. funny. British. <laughs> We're weird over here. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Nah, there was one scene that I did actually like, and it was only a small mm. one. When um, the girl had uh, got the worm thing in her foot and she did pull it out, so mm. many I've seen so many films where a character will get injured and then almost like a few scenes later, they're no. it seems like they're no longer injured. She kept limping the entire way through to right. show that her foot was still okay. injured. And it's just a small detail. I just thought, thank you. They, they've kept it in. Mm. I honestly Again, didn't notice that, but that's quite good. Yeah, I, I talked to some people afterwards to see what they thought of it. And the people that liked it, they were like, it's very Lovecraftian. And and, and I, I guess that means that it's kind of vague and mysterious. Mm. And so it doesn't really bombard you with answers or anything. It's just sort of like a vague danger that's affecting these people. And I guess, you know, some people really dig that. I, I, I guess I, I might be a little more conservative with my, my storytelling views where it's like it's nice to, to know why something's happening. So... Again, I hate when we've got guests on because I don't know if this, this our, our rating system is going to offend or not. Um, oh, it will someday. Oh, please explain this because you explain it way better than I do. <laughs> uh, if we hate it, we chuck it in the trash. Um, that's basically <laughs> how we rate things. We don't believe in percentages or numbers or stars. We just either keep it if we like it or we throw it away. That's fine. I, I mean, the worst, uh, as a director and a filmmaker, the worst possible reaction isn't someone hating it. It's someone that's just like, yeah, it's fine. Like, yeah, it's, you know, like that, that very, like a meh. That's like the worst thing because you, you spend like two years making a movie to, for something, you know, if, if someone likes it, great. If someone hates it, at least it elicited something from someone, like yeah. it evoked a reaction. Whereas if someone's just like, eh, and then just move on, they forget about it, didn't exist. It's just like, man, what a waste of two years. <laughs> so throwing it in the trash is fine. Okay, cool. Yeah. Then, uh, right, well, I'll start with Marcus this time around. Marcus, keep it up in it. Um, I would probably bin this one. Like When we say we bin uh, films, it's usually we judge it on, is this something we'd pick up to watch again? If we can see ourselves doing that, then to keep. If not, then well, you throw it away. Uh, I'd bin it. it. It had some good things about the film, but it, just, it didn't just keep my interest levels up high enough about the whole thing. Okay. How about you, Brandon? What would you go with this one? I'll keep it just because... Uh... You never know. The director is probably listening, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's a you know it's a well-made movie and it's got a cool concept. I just wish that it was it explored more of of uh, you know of, of what it was it was kind of setting up. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. talking to people that really enjoyed it, um, you know, there's something in there for people. So I'll keep it for those that like it. I like to share. Cool. Okay. Uh, no, uh, it's going to be a bin for me. I think I I didn't like. A large percentage. I found myself sort of hovering over the bar at the bottom of the screen, just wondering whether I should skip bits. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Which is never a good That's sign. not a good sign, no. So it's going to be a bin for me. Although I will say it's a good film to have on if you're trying to go to sleep. Uh, so <laughs> I just get offensive. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a point in its favour. I'm, I'm going to bin as well. I'm so sorry. I really didn't get this one. I it's going on that hype train again, and a lot of films fall victim to the hype train. You get so many people going, "Oh, it's an amazing movie." They did it with Troll Hunter mm-hmm. uh, at Fright Fest. They kind of went, "Troll Hunter, best found footage movie ever made," and you're going, "Great, I really enjoyed this." And you sit there and you watch it and you just go, "I just." What I will say on a positive note 
is I really like the acting in this. Uh, I think Liana Libertio, uh, Lib- Libertio? I think that's how you spell her name. I'll probably mm-hmm. butchered that. She's really good in this. Mm-hmm. And I think she's got a very big career ahead of her. Um, I know Banana Split was quite a, uh, quite a good film as well from what I've been told. So saying I would go out and you know look at and see some of her other work. But you know, you've got Jake Weber, he's very good in everything he's in anyway. Um, mm. And no, Legros, he wasn't too bad. You know, we've seen worse boyfriend characters. Um, mm-hmm. I think the dynamic works quite well, I think, as well. He had a nice body. So he had that going for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is Jeffrey A. Brown's uh, first film, you know, so it's his mm. first feature. Um, okay. And features are brutally hard. So, I mean, he, he kind of went for a, a, a high concept thing. Mm. And, you know, whether it worked for you or not, you know, maybe next I mean, time. For, we'll for a first feature, I would definitely give this worth another go. I mean, I just, yeah. just didn't get it. I think it would have worked better as a slasher or a home invasion. I think right. if you kind of. Just needed to be shorter. That's all it needed. Mm. It just needed to be a nice little, maybe even like episodes or something. Maybe, I don't know. It's under 90 minutes. <laughs> Was it? it's the scenes that are long so it feels long like when you have 20 yeah. minute long scene it's just like okay i want to move on uh, i want to get to the next part and you you're kind of stuck there so yeah, yeah that's 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 my biggest issue and i'm gonna touch it but it, sorry Mark, you go. Uh, I go, yeah. all right so i was just gonna say i know the budget for this film is fairly low but i feel like if they'd had a lot of money they could have poured into it Making it into something like a series and putting a lot more thought and uh, story into each episode could have they could have really had a nice idea here. More zombies. Well, yeah, it make it yeah. like just. I think explain a agreeing bit. with both of your points. I mean, agreeing with both of your points. I think it would work much much better as a TV series. A Netflix special. That'd have to be a long, you know, a long series or anything like that. But a Netflix or HBO special just kind of go really go for it for I don't know five or six episodes. One kind of short run series, and I think it would work so much better. But unfortunately, that's three bins and a keep for this one here. So, Brandon, if you don't mind, um, me and the guys just got a few questions about mm-hmm. your movies. Again, we love your films, so I just have to ask questions to get to know a bit more about the films. So, if I start with maybe Stillborn, um, guys, what questions do you have for Brandon that you'd like to ask? I just have an overarching question, which is out of your own films. Do you like one better than the other? I'm more personally attached to Z, uh, just because of like certain life events happened right before we shot it, and sort of while I was doing post, that was you know some tragic stuff was going on. So um, there was a lot more. It was much more like of an emotional, like a mountain to climb for me. Whereas mm-hmm. with Stillborn, it was like. I didn't. I edited like half of Stillborn, and Colin edited the other half. Whereas on Z, I did the whole thing. Like I edited it. I did the v, all the VFX. I did you know all this stuff. So I was just kind of locked with this film for so long, kind of just going through something personally that was uh, a lot more challenging. So the film itself, to me, has a lot more like heart in it, and just more, um, just there's more st- stuff. There's a lot of baggage with me in the film. That's uh, that's that's hard to kind of separate. Um, whereas Stillborn was a lot lighter and more fun. I, I think Stillborn, I, I don't know, they're, they're pretty similar films. They were both done super cheap. Um, you know, they're about moms and kids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, even in both of them, there is personal things inside of them because they're kind of based mm-hmm. off of experiences that I've had. 
Um, but uh, I don't know. I think I think Z is a more mature film, and and Stillborn's more fun. Like mm-hmm. it's a uh, you know more of a popcorn kind of horror film, like a like a Blumhouse type of film. Whereas Z has when you get you know it has a lot of that, but then when you get to the third act, it gets really kind of slow and dark, and it's just this different thing. So I don't know. It's hard to say. I'm proud of both of them for sure. Um, I'm excited to do something different for you know get away from the mom in a house scary film for a little mm. while. So, yeah, I mean, I like them both. If I had to pick one, uh, I, I don't know if I could. I'm looking at both the posters right now, and I, <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I pass. <laughs> <laughs> Is he allowed to do that? Okay, he can right. do that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a question that's still formulated. He's saying it, but it's kind of, you know, on personal kind of experiences. Have you seen anything on a baby monitor before? <laughs> no, but I mean, the monitor that we used was the same one that we had. And uh, I mean, I you watch those things all the time when you, you oh, yeah. get to bed, you grab them, you're, you're looking at it, you just sort of stare at it. And, mm. and it's kind of just like my favorite thing, which is just these simple moments that you take for granted because what if something were to happen? It's like playing with that what if is, is really you know exciting mm. for me. It's like... In going jumping to Z for a sec, the whole banister falling thing is because <laughs> when, when you're a parent and you've got kids and they go upstairs and that 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 danger does exist, mm. it's always in the back of your mind. Like it's never, it's not really going to happen. It's very unlikely that that's going to happen. But you've got that what if like, in the yeah, back of your head, yeah, and you <laughs> never know. And so it's like it's kind of mm. finding those things that are pretty normal and just finding that what if and that whatever what you know you never know and mm. then grabbing that and pulling that to the front and making that the moment because those are the things that you know when a parent watches it they'll be like oh i totally get that uh, so go on to z because i know um you're saying you've got a lot of you know personal love for z as well was you always kind of thinking of maybe going because the, the final the final half of it because with z being more connected to um the female lead character was it always in your idea to make it more because it seems very um like domestic abuse Mm-hmm. But through obviously a demonic creature, there was always kind of right. the route you were going to go down, or because the film uh, got, not got, the got a lot darker from because obviously the, the, the more it goes in, it gets it feels darker, basically going into that kind right. of thing. Which... Good. The um yeah, like the first draft I wrote with my wife, and it was it was similar. Like it had uh, the kid with the imaginary friend, and it turned out that it was actually the mom's imaginary friend, and it had all that stuff. But it didn't have sort of that third act change where kind of Z wins and she lives with Z. And and all that came from a lot of conversations with Colin Minahan, who wrote the second and, you know, uh, drafts after that, um, where we were. And it was it was the harder. It was such a hard script to break because you're dealing with an imaginary thing. So it can literally be anything. So it's always like, what is this going to be like? What are the rules for something that doesn't actually exist? Like it's something that can be anything. So you have to kind of find exactly what it is. And and the whole thing with like the dad and, and something happening when she was a, when she was a kid, that was always there from the beginning, but um, sort of making Z almost like a, uh, like an analog for the dad to step into that role and sort of make her a kid again. And it have this sort of abuse and, and stuff that she has to relive. Um, that definitely came from later conversations and even even just like sort of exploring the film with Keegan uh, Connor Tracy when we were when we were working on it, just how her performance came out and stuff like that. A lot more 
of the little nuggets of an idea sort of came out through her performance. So it's it's definitely it, it was something that was kind of constantly being adjusted a little bit. Um, and I mean, even in like the creature design, like we had there was the, the guy that we uh, hired to do Z. He's really tall, really skinny. And um, he can do this really creepy stuff with his neck where he, like, it, it looks like he's like dislocating his neck. And I thought, oh, that's such a cool thing that it would be fun to take advantage of that. And so like when he's sitting in the tub opposite of her, the first edits of that scene, his like neck breaks. And it like oh. it was really it was really creepy, but it was kind of it was just too much and it was dumb. And I was like, well, it's kind of neat because it's like, you know, her dad's neck would have been bent like that when she found him. And it's very much like the bent neck lady in uh, the Haunting of Hill House, which was such a cool idea. Um, yeah. But uh, it just it just didn't work properly for the film, so yeah. it was kind of dialed back into more of a creepy kid. Just like she sees him and he's happy and he's smiling and and all that stuff. So it's it's kind of one of those things that you know films are constantly changing, even in the edit, where you're just like exploring new material and trying to tell the story in different ways. And and that was definitely one of them. Did uh, you ever used to have an imaginary friend, which uh, sort of helped give you inspiration for this film? Or, like, how how did you come up with the idea for Z? I didn't. Uh, after Stillborn, I I was kind of um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, and you know, with Stillborn, uh, I was sort of drawn to the idea of a, you know a mother and a baby, and and that whole you know Rosemary's Baby kind of vibe of a film, and so that was kind of the genesis of that. And so with Z, was uh, my oldest son. He had just started going into kindergarten. And there was that whole process of letting him sort of leave the house for the day that was really foreign to us. And so, you know, he would come home and he would have these new ideas and new thoughts. And you're just like, for the first time, you're not in control of that anymore. So you're getting you're getting kind of new information from someone else that's teaching him. And it's kind of like, well, what if it's another one of those what ifs? What if he brought something home with him that was bad? And all of a sudden, you know, it's like the bad seed. He kind of comes home and he's different now because you're not in control anymore. And it's like the whole process of letting go. Um, that was really interesting. And so my wife and I were just talking about it a lot. And she she had a friend who had a kid with an imaginary friend. And um, she brought that up. And it was just like, you know, the fires were immediately lit. And it was just like, oh, that's so cool. And we started talking and talking and talking. And just by the end of the night, we had like the Z toy thing that would be like a Ouija board sequence. We had you know, the name Z was just like a, a variable. It's like, well, what what is it? Is it a boy or a girl? It's like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It's X, it's Y, it's Z, it doesn't matter. So we'll just put like a letter down for now. And then it's just like, well, well, Z is kind of interesting. And so it's like, what if we had to, you know, all these things and it just sort of kept spinning out and just kind of was born from there. With him on, the picture of him on the wall, mm -hmm. um, love that image of Z on the wall. It's actually the background of my phone. <laughs> oh, really? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, we do, do love that image actually. Brittany Allen, who did the score on the film, she she drew that for us right when we started production. Like she sent it over mm -hmm. as a charcoal drawing, and it looked really cool. But it, the the first thought was just like it's 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 too good for an eight year old, you know? Like it's mm -hmm. way too high fidelity. It's it's too good. So we need to do like a dumber version. And so when we were editing the film, like we used that because all the the stuff on the wall, it's all VFX because we couldn't actually do anything to those walls. Um, so we just sort of used that as a temporary thing and we just never changed it. It just stayed. And so we just we actually ended up adjusting Z himself to look a little bit more like that in post as well. I mean, you barely see him, but um, when you do, it's he's been slightly adjusted to try and match it a little bit more than he did normally. I have one question. Sorry, mm -hmm. just going back to Stillborn because I mm -hmm. forgot to ask us earlier. Uh, right at the end, when it's left up to 
mystery about whether there's a demon involved or it's all in the, the lady's head. Did you ever have a decision on what which one it was or was it always a case of you're going to leave it up to the audience? Um, it was kind of a situation where, I mean, during the writing of the film, Colin was definitely on the like team demon side and I was on team crazy. And so, you know, any decision that was made, it was kind of always balanced off of each other. Like, okay, well, this should happen. It's like, and then it'd be like, okay, well, if that happens, then this has to happen to counteract that so that they're competing with each other. So you as an audience are still clueless. Um, we, I mean, we had an alternate ending <laughs> and we filmed it too, where, uh, and it was one of those, it was, it was one of like, uh, it was an idea that I had when I was out on a walk with my wife and we were just walking and talking about the idea. This is like before we had a script before, you know, when it was very early and it was like, it would be kind of cool if at the end, you know, the, the mom, the baby or the mom dies, blah, blah, blah. But then at the very end and the dad's going to see, you know, the baby, um, it you know it kind of the camera peers over into the crib and then uh, it's just sort of sitting there looking at the camera and then this demon hand just r yanks the baby out of frame like kind of like Friday the third or uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street pulling you know her through the window at the very end mm -hmm. and it was very much like that so we shot that and it's terrible but uh, <laughs> that was that was definitely like a confirmation thing that we did just because we had to do it but uh, yeah I mean when we were editing it it was it was very interesting to leave it as a you know an unknown and i think the script left it as an un oh no i think the script is actually says it's not there um and that would have changed it too but i i think over time i've definitely leaned into the fact that there was there was a demon like there's more i mean that whole ending sequence where he's listening to the tape there is a chance that it's her making the demon voice because we've heard her do it before earlier in the film when she's talking uh -huh. to him and she's making the demon voice so it's possible that she's still doing that but i think uh I think that it's more likely than not that uh, the Lamash 2 was really there. I think that's probably the creepier version. Yeah, and it's more sympathetic to her, for sure. If yeah. she's just crazy, it's kind of a, a bummer for, for anyone watching. Yeah. I've got a quick question. One last mm. one. Uh, what's next for you, then? Have you got any projects lined up? I do. I've actually... Um, I've got a call after this with an actress that I'm trying to get on board my next film. Uh, we're supposed to uh, start shooting on October 4th. We were going to shoot it in May, but uh, everything happened, so we had to push it. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's actually not too dissimilar from The Beach House, and that was part of the reason I wanted to watch it as well. Like, uh, setup-wise, it's, it's, it's somewhat similar to that. But uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's different than anything I've done before. It's not like there's no demons or ghosts or anything like that. So it's, it's a very small, smallest budget I've ever worked with, smallest crew I've ever worked with. Just something kinda, uh, to just sort of uh, to do and, you know, just while things are kind of slower right now. And like yeah. while there's so many regulations and things like that with how you can shoot films. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. It's, I think the script's really fun. Uh, it's Is it fun still going to be a horror or...? Yeah, it's it's a horror film, but it's it's more like something like creep than it is something like you know uh, a ghosty, insidious type movie. Hmm. Okay. So let's get on to our second film of the podcast. It follows. Uh, Marcus, explain it follows to us. Right, that is me. <laughs> no, so <laughs> it follows. Um, okay, right. So the film is plays in the title pretty much. <laughs> pretty much it follows so this uh, so-called it is uh meant to be some sort of almost like an sti uh you have this 
thing that's constantly trying to follow you, uh, almost like a shapeshifter, because it can turn into anything, or sorry, anyone, and it's trying to kill you, but it will only ever walk towards you. It won't run or anything like that. Um, and the only way to get rid of this uh, almost like curse-like thing is to have sex with someone else, and it passes the killer on to them. However, if that person dies, it will go back through the chain until it's killed everyone. So you pass on to someone else, and then they pass on to someone else. If both those people die, this thing will follow you again. And it's films all about this girl who gets tricked into having sex with someone to get the thing coming after her. She then gets her friends to uh, help her trying to get rid of it. She ends up passing it on to someone else who then dies, so it comes back to her. She then passes it on to someone else at the end, and the ending really confused me, so uh, we'll leave that bit up to discussion. Mm. But yeah, it's constantly going back and forth. I'm going to start this time. So Brandon, actually, because I know you like this film. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, tell us a little bit your thoughts and why you like it. And um, I, I mean... You can't talk about It Follows without talking about the disaster piece score, which is, I've probably listened to the score of this film more than any piece of music that I've ever listened to in my life. Like just driving on the highway and just blasting uh, the, the music in this movie is, is it's just so good. But uh, um, I don't know, there's just something really creepy about the idea of being followed and being watched and, and not being alone. And, and, and in a, you know, a situation where even in a crowd, you're still alone because no one else can see what you can see. Um, I mean, there is, you know, it's definitely a movie that its first half is better than the second half. Um, you know, all the setup stuff I think is just like perfect. And I think it does such a great job of communicating um, the mythos of, of, of what it is and, and all these things and, and just sort of teaching you the rules. Um, I, I think that the, you know, the idea of it being almost like an STD is really interesting um, I, you know, I think where everybody, the people that don't like it as much, it feels like it's the, the pool fight and, and, and that sort of, you know, the stuff leading up to that, where it kind of just, it breaks the whole idea. I mean, it kind of, it has the whole kind of cheap slasher movie thing. Like when they're on the beach and no one can see it and, it, and she runs away and drives away, it's, it's always pretty close to her. And it seems like one of those situations where you could just, uh, you, you, if you're as long as you're on the move, you're probably fine. Like drive ten miles this way, you've probably got at the walking speed, you've got like a day to hang out and then just drive back. I mean, it's it's obviously terrible, but um, it's it's more manageable than sort of the high the chaotic nature and how they handled it. But uh, I don't know. It's just it's really it's really interesting, and I love the way he shoots it. Like that opening scene where the girl, you know, it starts on this really idyllic scene on a, on a street and then it starts to pan and then a girl runs out of the house and she's kind of like totally panicking and you don't know what's going on. The camera's just slowly panning with her and neighbor's like, are you okay? What's wrong? And she, she knows that she can't say anything because no one else can see it. And so it continues to pan, does this full 360. Then she goes to the beach and her leg is broken on that, you know, that horrible vision on the beach. And it's just like, it's so interesting because you're just like, it has this weird kind of um there's this strange quality to everything in the film that it's just like it's hard to put your finger on and and, and it even goes down to like the production design where you know the, the girl is using that clamshell phone or ipad reader or whatever and it and like the tvs are old the cars are old but it doesn't ever it's not really doesn't take place in the 80s or anything it's just like totally anachronistic in a cool way because you can't place it it's just like this yeah. weird subconscious feeling that it exists in this sort of 
another universe where these things, you know, time doesn't really matter. It can be whatever it needs to be and it, it'll never feel dated because of it. So I don't know. It just has so many cool things that I get really excited about because it's just like, it's really interesting. And I think just the way it handles um, the way the, the story unfolds is really cool. I must admit, I haven't got many notes on this film, but I did write down what time is it meant to be? Right. Uh, what year? Because like, when they're having the final showdown at the swimming pool, like mm-hmm. all the stuff they bring with them is just like an electric typewriter and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's just really weird. Very it's weird. Like, so they raided like a charity shop, like a really old one. <laughs> but then... <laughs> The phone just throws me completely. I, just, I didn't really get it. Because no other character has a phone. Right. It's just that one girl has that phone. Right. I, I don't even think it's a phone. I think it's like a book, like an e, like a like a Kindle or something like that, because she's always just reading it. I don't think she ever uses it for a phone. It's a good point, actually. It's like a compact, mm. like a makeup compact, but it's got a screen on it. It's really, it's so strange. Yeah. And it never, you know, it never, never goes like, hey, what are you reading? Or it never addresses it. Yeah. It's just part of the world. Like they're watching black and white TV whenever they're watching TV. It's always something old and black and white. Yeah. And it's just like, mm. it never says why. It never addresses it. It never has any calendars or anything. It's, it's just, it's so intentional that it yeah. just is. And that's what I think is really cool. Because yeah, someone had to come up with that idea. Mm. And then I don't know if it was the director. I don't know if it was like the production designer. But um, I've read, actually, I've read the script. I can't remember if it was in there or not. But it's it's just like a, a very strong choice that I think adds to the film a lot. Mm. Oh, it really bothered me because I was just like, <laughs> why is it there? Every time it right. just like pan onto it, I was like, so I get it. <laughs> it feels like an 80s movie. Yeah. Because totally. it, it reminds me a bit of um, Summer of 84, kind yeah. of music wise and feel wise. Yeah. It's like an 80s film, but set modern. It's a weird kind of mesh, mm-hmm. really. But I agree. Soundtrack. Amazing. Love the soundtrack in this mm. one. Anything similar, closest enough to this was the soundtrack to Summer of 84 and Summer of, and the uh, soundtrack to Drive as well. Two right. awesome soundtrack. I'll go, go on to Marcus first, then I'll explain my thoughts on this one. <laughs> Marcus, your thoughts on this. This film, I, I did actually like that the idea of the film about how it was uh, mm. the, uh sorry the evil part was uh transferred through sex to me it almost seemed like they were trying to put a comedic side in it i just didn't like her but that's just me however the, the film itself i felt it's really well made the the idea of this thing coming after you and it, there's quite literally nothing you can do about it it's almost mm. like the fear of being powerless mm. it's constantly put on you the whole way through uh, always looking over your shoulder there's always something that's keeping you on edge uh, and they never quite fully explain when this thing's going to arrive. Like, there's scenes where they make it seem like this thing's going to just pop up as a jump scare, and then it all of a sudden jumps to like, yeah, we haven't seen it for three days, and it's just like, well, when's it going to appear? And then it just appears randomly, and you're like, whoa, what the hell? Mm-hmm. It's shot so well, and every scene almost feels like it's it's four uh, sort of two steps ahead. I think I, I remember I think... reading an interview with David Robert Mitchell, um, and he was, I think his inspiration was, is like a bad dream. And it has that like dreamlike quality where nothing really mm-hmm. makes sense. It's just like, it makes sense, but not in like a very linear way. Like things can kind of happen out in that, that at first you kind of go like, well, wait, how did that happen? But it doesn't really stop to think about that. It just continues forward. And it's just, it kind of applies that to the, the monster of the film where it's just always pursuing you no matter what there's, it's just 
kind of always coming at you and it's it's uh it's cool because the the bad guy hides in plain sight like it's it's never hiding so you never know if someone just walking towards you is the the thing or not like at the, the very end of the film when they're walking and you can see someone deep in the background for the rest of their life they're going to have this paranoia where it's like is this you know is that some the the thing or is that just someone walking and so it's you know it's it's definitely kind of like a sopranos type ending where it's like you're just going to live in paranoia for the rest of your life and that's really cool i think the idea behind it is very solid i like the idea and i like kind of the the, the, the thing the creature whatever whatever spirit whatever you want to call it following them i love that concept Maybe it's just got the, the acting grated me slightly. I'm not a huge fan of the acting in this one, but there's, there's ideas there, and there's scenes. There's a scene where she's with all the friends, and the uh, creature is following her through the house, and they can't see it, and mm. they think that she's just going to be crazy. And her friends is at the door, and, and so brushing her teeth, going, "What? What's going on?" And mm-hmm. the, big, the, the tall guy behind her some really kind of cool visual scenes and i love the opening scene the opening scene really caught me mm-hmm. when i watched that part there i was like no okay no this, this looks quite good actually um i'll give them quite a little before giving this a go i loved the whole her phone and her parents and apologizing for what probably was a huge mistake mm-hmm. sleeping with whoever she slept with the first time sure obviously i'm assuming it's the guy who slept with our main character in this one just this innocence of her and she wouldn't want to sleep around again get rid of it he probably has explained to her as well about it if she doesn't want to sleep around and that's the only way she can escape this and they try and do this with our lead character but she still goes and sleeps with other people i do wonder maybe why they didn't think about sleeping with prostitutes the first time uh, but you know they would have kind of spread it out a little bit more but then that's probably just me looking to make a plot hole where it's not a plot hole i've been Shouted at several times by a couple of my reviewers why I didn't like this, but I I find it with a couple of quite a few of the art housey indie films. I just just can't can't deal with it. I don't know. What about you? No overall thoughts. I really liked it. Yeah, I stuck with it till the end. I don't really like the sort of showy down boss battle at the mm-hmm. end. It wasn't. See, I didn't mind really that. Really in keeping with the film, <laughs> to be honest. Um, not that I can think of a better way to sort of kill it if it did die mm. but yeah it didn't sit right with me that bit but I did find myself the next day like at work just going well I've sat here for 20 minutes I would be dead right or I've been standing in this queue for a while and sort of looking behind me <laughs> like I don't know it just makes you think about it I mean when would you sleep I think the only way you could do it is like either i and i thought the showdown thing because they grab all these tools and stuff i thought they were going to dig a big hole and then just like a super deep hole in this fenced in area and they would just kind of they would trick it to go into it and it wouldn't be able to climb out because it still seems to adhere to human you know characteristics like it crawls it walks it does those things so i thought it'd be more of a trap whereas they're trying to like electrocute it which doesn't seem to make any sense um I don't know why they're doing doing that. I did thought think it was kind of cool that it took the the face of her father, which yeah. there's like this vague, yeah. uh, you know, vague notion as something was ha- you know something was from her past or whatever. Who knows? It's never explained, but it's kind of interesting. Um, but I think the only way to beat it is like to fly to Amsterdam and sleep with the prostitute in the red light di- district, mm-hmm. and just that it would confuse it so much that I think you know it'd be like walking. Mm-hmm 
because people fly in there it's like a destination place so you know all of a sudden the guy that comes in he's flying across the world to do whatever and it's just it would just constantly be walking underwater so i think i I think that's the only way it would you'd be able to get a break from it what if it was on the plane though yeah Ah. (laughs) there's no exits in a plane right well, there is, but you, everyone has to go for it. Yeah, true. Mm. Like it? Oh, well, what, I, what my overall thoughts about the film? Mm. It, it was a good film. I I like how it... Right, okay. It was a really well-made film, but I just personally didn't like the idea that much. Although, that's just me from my, my own personal opinions and stuff. It was a good film. It was much better than um, the, the Beach House. Uh, the scenes weren't dragged out much. Uh they had an idea. I did think the ending scene, uh, sorry, the ending like boss battle, mm. it was a, I don't know, it was very different from the rest of the film. Although I did like how they made a twist of they, it, it seems almost foolproof that this thing would follow them into the the pool and they'd electrocute it. Although I'm pretty sure that's mm. too big of a pool for those electronics <laughs> to actually do anything. <laughs> right. um, and then for it just to not go in the pool and start throwing things, so I was like, wait a minute, this is a bit of a twist. And then again, it could be a dad, like even bigger twist. I just when, when he shot the girl, no one seemed to give a shit. <laughs> Literally, they're like, "Oh, you're <laughs> right. right." To the blonde one, and she's in the back with her legs bleeding out. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's just all carried on like normal. Uh-huh. Yeah, I shoot her all the time. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll ask the question. Uh, sorry, Brandon, keep it up in it. Keep it, hundred percent. No, keep it up in it. Yes, keep from me. I quite liked it. And Marcus. I would actually watch it again. Awesome. Marcus, keep it up in. Keep it again. Keep it again. Keep it. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I'll, I'll bin it. <laughs> Wasn't a fan. Right. That's wow. two bins. That's two bins from me. That's not like me. <laughs> like, like, like I said to, uh, to Russ, my review on the website, I, I am a trash bag film fan. I like my trashy movies, and you know that. <laughs> this is why you. This is why you don't like Hellraiser. Because it's shit. Oh, I'm anyway. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if we can ask any more questions, Brandon, what are your opinions on Hellraiser? Any of them, that is. Uh, I've only seen one or two of them, and it was a long time ago. And uh, I remember just thinking the gore was so extreme. Like I, I remember them. There was like two cops. And they got tied together with chains, like they so they like blended into each other, and it was mm. a, such crazy Clive Barker esque visuals that it was just uh, it was crazy. It, I don't know it, those those films never really totally appealed to me because they're just they're just super uh, I don't know. They're just they've got this very weird and unique style to them. Maybe I'm not a huge part Clive Barker fan. I'm not sure, but it's uh, from what I remember, I remember just being more captivated by the gore than anything. They try too hard to be weird. That's what it is. One day we'll find somebody who likes it. <laughs> One day. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a divide for Clark Parker films in this podcast. Yeah. One day. <laughs> we should watch uh, Hellraiser, uh, the one in space. No. I don't want to do any more Hellraisers. We will. We will. <laughs> There's still a Hellraiser 3 to watch. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, thank you, Brandon, for coming on and talking to us about uh, the nonsense that we're talking about. Um, for for yourself, what what do you, anything to plug? Anything you want to? How can we catch you on social medias? 
Uh, yeah. Um, no, uh, I mean, you can follow me at I'm the Brandon Christensen on Instagram, and I think the Brandon C85 on Twitter because you can't have long names. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll hopefully be on set again in a couple months, two months exactly, mm. and uh, that'll be that'll be exciting. It'll be fun. I think it'll be a lot quick. It'll be quick. Like the, it'll be fast before you know it's kind of out there. Is a, I think mm. there's a lot more hunger for new content right now, but yeah. it'll be cool, exciting, cool. Um, and yeah, so you can catch both C and Stillborn on Shudder. Um, highly recommend you go and watch it. We really enjoyed it. Um, go back, listen to episodes, uh, get our thoughts on them ones. Um, as always, you can catch us over on the social medias as well. Um, I'm at Snake Bite Horror over on Twitter, we are on Instagram at Snake Bite Horror. Uh, on- Letterbox at Snake White Vault. Um, you can catch us every couple of weeks over on the Franchise Players podcast as well. That's me and Chloe uh, talking film franchises, and we're still working through the Charles Play movies. Um, recently, just did Charles Play Two. It's come up a lot on the uh, on the feed, so do go and listen to that one. Uh, and I've also got a brand new podcast uh, just been launched, uh, solo one, just me this time, where I um, am talking to horror authors about their career, and basically it's Desert Island Disc. I'm ripping that off, and I'll hardly admit that. They're basically talking about their three favourite books that they absolutely love, um, and we talk about the career. So the recent episode with um, the author of Steris, Nathan Robinson, he's, uh, you'll know him if you know the website from many years ago when he used to do our book reviews over on Snakebite, funnily enough. He's the author of Steris, uh, Devil Let Me Go, and he just talks to us about um, his career. So do catch us over there. Do listen to us on that one. Listen to us Castbox, iTunes, Spotify, um, anywhere you can get podcasts as well. But thank you, Brandon, for joining us. Um, mm-hmm. As always, I have been joined by my co-hosts. So goodbye from me, goodbye from Niall. Bye. And goodbye from Marcus. Kudos. <laughs>